I um, am going to take a little detour uh, this evening from our normal path of, of studies. And I, I just want to talk to you. Um, basically, uh, how we how we learn the the word of the Lord, and uh, just in a in a nutshell, uh, I want to try to help us to understand that. Uh, Sometimes the way we do things as far as church is concerned, uh, we, we basically are educating ourselves into disobedience. And let, let me explain that. Let, let me explain. Uh, because the way that, that, uh, that, that we learn... Uh, is is different from the way that I believe I'm beginning to understand that God intended for His people to learn. Um, there there is a tremendous difference uh, between the way that Western civilization uh, and the Middle East learn anything. Our train of thinking is is different, and sometimes the Word of God gives us fits when it comes to trying to understand because we may not take into uh, consideration that the Bible was not written to a Western civilization mindset. Now, when I talk about Western civilization, I'm not talking about cowboys and Indians and, you know, things like that. I'm, I'm talking about parts of Western Europe um, and all of North Amer- at least North America uh, in the Western Hemisphere. So when I talk about Western culture... Um, not talking about Western Hemisphere, not not cowboy boots and hats and things like that. But the the Word of God was not written to a Western civilization mindset, and so sometimes with uh, with interpreting the Word of God and with understanding what. God's intent was when He inspired holy men of old. Uh, we have to understand a little bit about Middle Eastern culture and and how they think and how they they learn. They they ask different questions than we ask, and um, uh, just kind of give you. An example, I was talking to my wife coming over. You know, if, if we were to want to know about God or if we were asking for 
understanding about God. We, we may ask the question, well, who is God? Who is He? And, and then we try to ascertain who He is. To where the Middle Eastern way of thinking, they would never ask, who is God? Just by way of wanting to be able to identify Him, they would ask, what is God? Because to know Him, they want to know what He does that makes Him God. So what does He do? So what is God? What does He do that makes Him God or that separates Him from any other uh, deity? They, they want Because they identify an individual by what they do. Okay, we've, we've talked about this. We've talked about this concept before. Uh, in in our Bible studies and and even in preaching as as of late they uh, um, they they want to know uh, or we we want to understand you know what what he does now when when I talk about or when I made the statement that said we have educated ourselves into disobedience of the word of God let let me explain that. Um, in the northern hemisphere, um, we have uh, we have church. You know, here we have church twice a week, and um, you know, if we come to church on Sunday morning and we hear a sermon, and then we, if we had service on Sunday night, we'd hear another sermon, typically. On a totally different subject. That's what we would. That's what we would expect. And and I have to say, quite honestly, when we uh, had service on Sunday night, uh, typically I was trying to uh, to to make the messages uh, different in the two services. And so I was uh, reading and and studying and. And uh, one author said, when, when we do that, uh, on, on two services, we, we talk on two totally different subjects, we cut the effectiveness of the first service that we heard in half. We cut the effectiveness of it. If we have a, a Sunday school on Sunday and a lesson is taught, now we have cut the effectiveness by into thirds. And then if we hear a, a message or a lesson on Wednesday night, we have cut the effectiveness of what we heard on Sunday morning into quarters. And so we, we receive... So much information uh, that it makes it almost impossible 
for us to obey or to apply everything that we have heard to, to our lives. Now, when, when Jesus uh, taught, and when He taught and He preached in the synagogues, uh, invariably Jesus, every time He went to the synagogue, did, did not teach on different subjects every time He, he went to teach. But the Hebrews' way of learning was, was to hear the Word of God and hear it explained. And then they go home and they review what they've heard. They, they don't throw it aside and say, well, that was a good lesson or that was a good sermon that Jesus preached but they go and they review what they have heard and ask questions as to what is expected of me from, from this lesson. What am I supposed to do? How does it apply to my life? So... So they, they knew and they understood God, not just based on their intellectual knowledge of Him, of just reading Scripture and, and hearing uh, you know, a lesson that is taught about God or an attribute of God. They, they knew that God is love based on what He did to prove his love. So when they applied that to their own life and they lived that, then when they're, they're talking to somebody about what is God and, and somebody says, well, God is love, then they can talk to that individual about the love of God, not just because Scripture said that He is love, but because I have taken the applications uh, or the things of the Word of God that deal with His love, and I've applied that to my life, and I live that. So I know that God is love, based on my experience with Him and not just my intellectual knowledge of Him. Does that make sense? Make sense so far? Well, my wife said it did coming to church. So, um, And so, I, I think one of our, our, our I say our, I, because I'm included in this. I think one of our failures, you know, sometimes is that in our society, when, when we leave the house of God, we, we pretty much leave everything there. And we, we don't give a whole lot of thought about what was said or preached or taught that we could take home and we could review this 
and then begin to ask questions. What do I do with this? How do I apply this to my life so that I can know what the Word of God says about God or or I can experience what the Word of God says about God more so than just in my intellectual knowledge and understanding of Him. Because to know by experience and application is greater than just knowing intellectually. Because I, I, can, I can tell you, just based on my reading and study of the Word of God, if I'm talking to Brother Thomas, and, and Brother Thomas, you know, asked, you know, well, you know, what, what about God? I mean, I, I, somebody said He's love, and I can say, you know what? He is love. And Brother Thomas could then ask the question, how do you know? That God is love. Well, we'd be quick to quote a scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. See, God, God is love. He gave His life for the whole world because He, because he loved them. Well, if we're, if we're saying that, just because we've read that and we have an intellectual understanding of that, you know, we, we can say, well, God is love, but, but there's a difference between being able to know about God because we read about Him and knowing God because we experience Him. Does that make sense? I can know about something, you know, intellectually. You know, I, I could read a, a, a book on health or... Or exercise, you know, and and I, I could tell I could tell you the benefits of physical exercise based on what I'm reading. But then, if somebody asks me, "Well, d- does it work?" Well, yeah, yes, it works. Well, how, how do you know? Well, I read it in this in this book. So I know it has to work. I read it in the book. Well, then the question would come maybe from a thinking person. They would say, well, is that what you do? Well, no. No, no, I I don't do that. But I know it works. Well, if you don't, if you don't do that, and you really don't know that it works. You know, it's like, um, and I've, I've used this illustration before, it's like, you know, a guy that we went to church with for, for a number of years, and it's been a number of years, it's been a bunch of years ago. He, he was faithful to church. Show up every time the church doors were open. But he didn't have the Holy Ghost. But he would stand and testify about witnessing to people on his job and he would he would be telling people you need the holy ghost you know that and and he he makes statements you know that and he would say i told this man the holy ghost is the best thing in the world that he could ever experience 
I'm sitting there one Wednesday night and I'm listening to that. And, and it dawns on me. And, I, and I'm thinking, how can you say that? How can you really tell somebody with any kind of confidence that the Holy Ghost is the best thing in the world that can happen to them? Because here's the thing, Brother Thomas, that boy didn't have the Holy Ghost. And he had never had the Holy Ghost. And, and it dawns on me one night and I'm, I'm thinking, how in the world can you tell people that? Because here's the reality of it. You really don't know that the Holy Ghost is the best thing that could happen to somebody other than the fact that you've read that somewhere or somebody has told you that. But, but to know it through experience, you cannot tell them that. That'd be kind of like, you know, me saying bluebells the best ice cream in the world. I don't eat a lot of it, but it is. I, I can't get my wife to buy it. She she buys that, I call it junk ice cream. You know, she that old Mayfield junk. It's got all these added all this stuff stuck in it, you know, and you know, like cookie doughs and you know, and you don't want you don't want any cookie dough, no. If I wanted cookies, I'd just get cookies. I don't want the dough in my ice cream. If I want ice cream, just give me ice cream. And, and bluebell ice cream is the best ice cream that's made. I don't care. If you don't agree, you, you can disagree and still be wrong. <laughs> my wife's wrong all the time when it comes to, to, to that subject. And, and I could say, you know what, Bluebell's the best ice cream in, in the world. And somebody say, well, I mean, you eat a lot of it? No, I don't eat it. Then how do you know it's the best ice cream in the world? Well, because, you know, Sister Thomas over there shaking her head. that it's, it's, I, Sister Thomas told me it was. I mean, she obviously eats it, and she told me it's the best ice cream that's made. And so, and, and so it, it's the best that you can do. When it comes to ice cream, I can tell you that from an intellectual standpoint. I cannot tell you that because of experience. That is, if I've never had it. I can tell you that from experience because I've eaten enough of it to know you can't top it when it comes to ice cream. There's just no way. None whatsoever. You know, you might as well be, if you're not eating that, you might as well be eating ice milk. You know, we bought ice milk. I don't even know if they still make that stuff. but So we bought ice milk when I was a kid because we was poor. And we thought we was eating ice cream, you know. And I, I know that through experience. I don't know it just because I read it somewhere. And so when we begin, when we begin to take the Word of God, and we, we don't just hear that, but we hear it and then we, we review that. Or a biblical term of that would be, to, would be to meditate on it. To meditate on it. 
And then again, ask questions. How, how does this apply to me? What am I supposed to do with this? What am, what am I, how am I to apply this to my life so that I can know Him better? Not just because I heard a sermon about Him or heard a lesson about Him, but I need to know Him better through experience. And I'm going to tell you something. When, when you know Him better because of experience, because of applying the Word of God to your life and living that, and I'm going to tell you something, your, your love for Him grows greater. Because my understanding and my relationship with Him is not limited just to, to my intellectual knowledge of Him, of what I have read and studied and heard, but because I have taken this and I have applied it to my life. And this is my life. This is how I live. This is what I do. So, I, so when you ask me what is God, and I say God is love, I'm not telling you that just because I've read it in the Word of God. I'm telling you because I have taken that Word and applied it to my life, and He has demonstrated His love. Amen. Does that make sense? I'm going to tell you something. God is in the business of demonstrating things. Amen. See, when Paul told the, the church at Corinth, when he, he said, my, I, my speech and my preaching is not with enticing words of men's wisdom, but with what? Demonstration. A demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. There was a reason for that. He said, so that your faith will not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of... How do you know about the power of God? Do you know, about, you know God is all-powerful because you read it in a book somewhere? You know that God is all-powerful simply because you read it in, in Scripture? And we know that Scripture is true. And so intellectually we know that God is all-powerful. We know that He is omnipresent. We, we know that He is omniscient be, because we read. In the Word of God, that God is Spirit. God is everywhere at all times. We read that He is all-powerful. We read that, uh, that, that He is all-knowing. He knows everything. And if we're not careful, we know that just based on what we read. But when I take what I read and I review this and I, 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 I think about it and I meditate on it, and then I ask, how am I to apply this? Then I can understand that God knows everything because there are things that are ways that He has demonstrated in my life that He knows everything about me. Amen? So I, I don't know that He's all-knowing just because I've read it in the Word. 
But because I've taken that and I've applied it, there uh, again, there's been times in my life He's demonstrated to me. I know exactly where you are and I know exactly what's going on. I know every detail of your life. How do do I know that it was God that was doing that? Because there would be times and things happening that nobody else even knew. There would be things in my mind, Brother Thomas, that no other human being even had a clue was there. But God somehow demonstrated to me that He knows everything. So I don't just know that He is omniscient based on just what I've read. I know it because He's demonstrated that to me. See, we, if we're not careful, we'll teach and we'll preach and, and we will believe a God that's just all words. But God's a demonstrating God. Amen. See, the, these Bible studies we've been doing for the last three weeks, talking about the, the broad subject, the authority of the king... And then the first subject, subheading we talked about was Christ's authority to preach. And then last week we talked about Christ's authority over disease. And then tonight we were going to talk about Christ's authority over nature. The reason that He was doing these demonstrations is so that people see these things And they believe what Scripture has already said about Him. See, God didn't intend for you to know Him just based on what you read about Him. God intended for you to know Him based on His demonstration of of His works and of His his attributes. You know, I I was uh, again told my wife coming to church, we... We in Western society, we would ask the question, who is God? And then we start searching to find who his identity. Who is he? How does he identify himself? And you know, and, and then we would say, Oh, you know, the word of God says he's love. You know, and, and the word of God says that that he is he is peace. He he is he he he's our prince of peace. Oh, the Word of God said He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. That, that, that's who He is. And, and we know that based on what the Word of God says. But when we know that through the application of the Word and God demonstrates that to us in some manner. And we come away with something that's greater than just an intellectual knowledge of what the Word of God says. And so the fact that God intended for His people to know Him through experience and not just through, just through knowledge or an intellectual knowledge goes all the way back to the Hebrew teaching of the Old Testament. Now, I'm going to read a passage of Scripture here, but before I do, I want to say something about the Old Testament. You don't need to discount the Old Testament. When you're reading and studying that book, 
Did, did you know that you can't even understand the New Testament without some kind of working knowledge of the Old Testament? So don't discount the Old Testament. That, that Old Testament's not boring. Je, Jesus said on more than one occasion, when, when it came to His identity, now here, here's what He would tell people. And when they would ask him, you know, you know, are you the Christ or, you know, you're the one that should come. And, you know, and Jesus would even ask on, on at least one occasion, who do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? What are they saying about me? What are they saying about my identity? You know, who I am. Oh, some say you're, you're, you're Moses. Some say you're Elijah. Some says you're some other prophet. Okay, who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Flesh and blood's not revealed that to you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus knew that Peter had an intellectual understanding of who he, of who he Jesus, is based on God revealing to him some things. But yet Peter's understanding and knowledge of who Jesus really is was not yet complete at that time. There were still some things that Jesus had to demonstrate to him. To prove to him that I am who I said I am. Because when, when you go through the, the ministry of Jesus and we talk about His authority to do different things, there were some things that Jesus did to prove His identity that nobody but God could do. And He demonstrated so that they could have more than just intellectual knowledge of who He said He is. Somebody who heard the teaching of Jesus could go away from there saying, well, He's the Messiah. Really? How do you know He's the Messiah? Well, He said He is. So in reality, you, you don't know. You don't know that He's the Messiah. Well, He said He is. I mean, he, he wouldn't lie, would He? I mean, why would He say He's the Messiah if He's not the Messiah? So that'd be our line of questioning. You know, and so, he, and so He demonstrated exactly who He is so that people will understand. And I say again, our God is a demonstrating God. He wants everybody to understand who He is. Not just... Not just based on what you read about Him, but what you experience about Him. See, I could tell you based on what I read, Jesus Christ is the Savior. Really? Yes. How do you know? Because I read it in, in the Bible. Well, has He saved you? Well, no. But I, but I know that He's the Savior just 
based on what the book says about him. And see, that's, that's good, but, but here, here's the dilemma, here's the problem that we can end up with that. Be, because of Greek influence on our culture as a whole, because of Greek influence on our culture. See, we think we've got it together if I know something intellectually. If I have knowledge. See, somebody said knowledge is power, but that's not entirely true. Knowledge has the potential of power. But just because I have knowledge doesn't mean that, that I have power. And so we, we feel like, oh, if I, if I go to church and, you know, I hear, you know, I hear something from the Word of God and, and it sounds good and, and really, really what I'm looking for is, is, you know, for that Word, a passage of Scripture to be preached to me in a manner that I've never heard before. Because in a roundabout way, some of y'all have let me know that. You've told me that. Because I'll get to studying a passage of Scripture and I'll start digging and I'll start doing some research and I'll start doing uh, some etymology on, on some words to find out what the root words are and, and how it's used, that word is used in different places in Scripture. And how and its intent in those other places, and then I I will take that information and I'll base a message or or a sermon on what God has helped me to understand, you know. And and I understand that sometimes it it's preached in a manner that that we haven't heard. But some of y'all get all excited because you you'll come after service and say, "Well, I'm gonna tell you what I've heard that." Scripture preached on for 30 years, but I've never heard it that way. Boy, you did something with that today. I've never heard it that way, and it just sounded good. And, and then we just we go about our way. Because of the Greek influence on our mindset as a culture, we are looking for knowledge intellectual knowledge and we think sometimes our intellectual knowledge is the same as experiential knowledge and nothing could be further from the truth because intellectual knowledge and experiential knowledge are two totally different things and the Jews know that that's the reason they won't ask the question, who is God? They'll ask, what is He? Because they want to know how He demonstrates as being God. What does He do that makes Him God? And so when you ask them a question about what, what is God, they're going to tell you a story. Just like Jesus did. See, Jesus was the master storyteller. And so when they asked Him a question, He would tell them a story 
about a lamb or about a man or uh, about a, a widow's might. And, and he used the landscape that was around him at that particular time to, to illustrate. But if we're asked who is God or what is God, we're going to start researching to get us a thesis put together or a good argument put together on the subject, who is God? And see, that's the difference. They're going to illustrate what God is based on what He has done. We're going to try to put together a thesis on what God is based on intellectual knowledge that we research somewhere. Does it make sense? God wants to demonstrate. Again, that's why He told the Corinthians in, an, in another place, He said, you know what? I, he said, I've been hearing some things about you. I've been hearing some things that you've been talking about and preaching and teaching, you know, in, in the church. And he said, I'm coming to you. I am coming. He said, but when I get there, I'm not coming there for your words. See what Paul is telling that Gentile church from a Hebrew mindset? I'm not coming there just to hear what you've researched. And what you're preaching to them people based on, on your knowledge and understanding of, of that or that subject. He said, when I get there, I'm not coming for your words. I am coming to see your power. What's he saying? I'm not coming just to hear a great sermon. But when I get there... I'm going to determine the power behind what you're saying. Why? Because there's a difference in knowing something intellectually and experiencing that same thing. There's a difference in power. There's a difference in authority. Does this make sense? I've had people tell me, and I not, not to brag on, on myself, I've had people tell me, I, I, wish, I wish I could preach like you preach. I've told some of them, I've told some of them they're just flat crazy. But I have told some, Brother Thomas, you could. You could if you walked in my shoes. You fight my devils. You fight my problems. You, you probably could. Because it's, it's more than just intellectual understanding. See, the Bible talks, and Luke talks about, about those Greeks. When Paul gets to Mars Hill in Rome, or, or in Athens, and, and he's, he's at Mars Hill, and he, he finds all of these philosophers at Mars Hill. Finds all these philosophers at Mars Hill. I'm going to show you a difference between intellectual knowledge and a demonstration because of experience. He gets to Mars Hill and he gets locked down with those philosophers. 
And he starts talking to them. And he notices that they have got altars to, to gods. And, and then they've got one that is to what they describe as an unknown god. It's kind of like in case we missed one somewhere. Then, you know, we're, we're going to erect something for him. And, and, so, and so Paul disputed with them. And he took that idea of the unknown God and he preached to them Jesus. He even used some of the arguments of the Greek philosophers. And, and Luke said of them in his writing in Acts, he said of them that the Greeks... On Mars Hill, he said they've got one goal, they got one purpose in life, and here it is. They're constantly trying to hear some new thing. If we can put some new twist on Scripture, if we can put this, this, this new twist on some philosophy that nobody's ever... The only thing that, that made their life worth living was the fact that they were just looking for new information. And that's it. Some new idea, some new philosophy, some new doctrine, some new mythology. What, whatever the case is, just something new. That's all they're looking for. Luke said there was a few people saved there. Not many. But Paul left there and went straight to Corinth. And he had written to Corinth after he had left Athens. He said, when I get there, my speech and my preaching is not going to be with enticing words of men's wisdom. But when I get there, there's going to be a demonstration of spirit and the power of God. Because here's the thing. Your faith cannot stand in the wisdom of men, but it's got to be in the power or the demonstration of God. Amen. You'll see, when Paul left Athens and before he got to Corinth, he had an un I believe. He came to an understanding. Just intellectual knowledge about a subject, it is not going to get the job done. But there's, there's got to be experiential knowledge. God is a demonstrating God. And He wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him more than through head knowledge. You know, you could, you could ask... You could ask, or, or somebody could ask you, what about this salvation business? How do you be saved? Some people would tell you, you just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You accept the Lord. A Hebrew would ask you, how does that work? Because to a Hebrew... Faith wasn't just some mental ascent. 
It wasn't just believing mentally and just agreeing that I believe. But when you talk to a Hebrew about faith, they're going to know what do you do. What do you do? How is faith demonstrated? Because they're into action, not just intellectual uh, knowledge. How How does faith affect you? What do you do to demonstrate? That's why, and we talked about it in, in recent history, that's why when James writes to the, to the Jewish church, James starts on that subject about faith and works, and he says, you show me your, your faith without your works, I'm going to demonstrate my faith by what I do. See the mindset there? So if you told a Jew, well, to be saved, you just believe on the Lord. You just accept the Lord as your personal Savior. They're going to ask you, how is that done? How do you do that? That's the reason the question was asked of those Ephesian brothers. Those brethren in Ephesus. Paul came across them preaching the Word of God and he asked them, King James says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? The the original wording is, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Not since you believed, when? When you believed, I'm asking, what happened to you? Because when you believe, there is something that happens so Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Their response was, we hadn't heard that there be any such thing as the Holy Ghost. Under what then were you baptized? Under John's baptism. And then then the explanation comes. There's more now than John's baptism. And and they, they had hands laid on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Because it, it's more than intellectual knowledge. So if somebody were to ask, how are you saved? And you had a knowledge and belief of Acts 2.38. And you say you repent. You're baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you receive the gift of the Holy Ghost evidenced by speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. Well, how do you know that? Well, because that's what I read in... And in in Acts, there's a there's a book in the Bible named Acts, and I read it in the book of Acts. Well, how do you know that's true? Well, because I read it. I read it. I know it's true because I read it. Have you experienced it? A Hebrew would ask. And they and if you said, Well, no, I hadn't I hadn't done that yet, then a Hebrew would turn around and say, You have no idea what you're talking about. Because if you really believe, that's the way to salvation. That's what you would do. Amen. Let, let, me, let me read you a, a scripture I told you a long time ago I was going to read. Going all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. 
all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm going to chapter number 6, and I'm going to begin with verse number 4. Now this right here, this right here, this passage of Scripture, the Hebrews call the Shema. Because we read the word here, if you heard somebody speak in Hebrew, they would say Shema. Here. And here's what the Lord had to say. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now listen to this. And you shall teach them diligently unto your children. And shalt talk of them when you're sitting in the house, when you're walking by the way, when you're lying down, And when you rise up, notice, what's the Lord talking about? He is talking about reviewing things that you have heard. This was reviewed in the Jewish household every day. When those kids were coming up, son... The Lord our God is one. And you shall love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And when they're walking from the farm to town, children, let me tell you, the Lord our God is one. And you shall serve Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. And then when they're sitting and relaxing, children, the Lord our God is only one. you got to love Him with all your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your might. And then when they're getting ready for bed and the parents is putting them down, children... You got the Lord our God is one. You love Him with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. It was the last thing in the day that they heard and it was the first thing they heard when they got up the next morning. Amen. Children, the Lord our God is one. You shall love Him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. This was drilled into them. They reviewed this every day and they never forgot it. It was in them. It was placed in them. They lived it. They walked it. They talked it. They they were obedient 
to it. This is what you've got to do to your children. And to this day, you may find a Jew who is an atheist, but you will not find a Hebrew that believes that that Jesus Christ is the second person in a triune Godhead. They're not going to believe that He's the Messiah. They'll tell you He was a teacher and He was a prophet. But God is one. There's only one God. Why? Because it has been taught to them and reviewed. Reviewed day by day by day. And so in verse number 8, the Lord tells them, you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be, when the Lord thy God shall have brought you into the land which he sware unto your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of all good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When, when thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware, lest you forget the Lord which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God, and serve Him, and shall swear by His name. So they learn of Him because of review. That's why the Lord, concerning the law, the Lord told Moses, you rehearse it in their ears. Well, God, I've already told them once. You tell them again. Well, God, I I don't know how many times I've preached on that subject. You preach on it again. I don't know how many times I've taught on that subject. Teach on it again. You rehearse it in there. It's got to be reviewed. If it's not reviewed, they're not going to understand the importance of it. If it's not reviewed, they're, they're going to take my law lightly. And handle it contemptly. And they're going to forget the law. And they'll forget me. You've got to keep telling them. Keep telling them. Rehearse it over and over. What are you doing? You're learning by rote or by review. They did this in their houses. Listen. Until until, or to the degree. That the average Jewish male, by the time that he was 13 years of age, could quote word for word the entire Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible, they could quote word for word by the time they're 13 years of age. Jesus could do that because he was raised in a Jewish household. Circumcised on the eighth day according to the, according to the Bible. He was taught in the ways and the customs and the learning styles of the Hebrews. That's why when Jesus quotes the Old Testament 
And he did on many, many occasions. Because listen, that's the Bible that Jesus had. That's the only Bible that he had to read at that particular time. So when he quotes Deuteronomy, as he did more than any other book, when he quotes Deuteronomy, he's not trying to put a new spin on that. He's not trying to teach those, those Hebrews something out of the Old Testament and put some kind of new twist on that that they've never heard before. He taught the law, he taught the words of the book as it was stated. So if we're, if we're not careful, we will develop an entertainment mentality. We're going to go to church and praise team, if we had a praise team. Praise team, boy, they're going to get us excited. They're going to sing some really good songs and, you know, get us to move in real good. And then the preacher, he's going to get up and, and, and we're going to see what kind of twist he puts on Scripture today. We've had more than a generation of that. And I, I could call names that every one of you would know whose key to fame in the apostolic ranks is due to the fact that they took some, some idea and they put a new twist on it. And it sounded good. And, and, and it listened good. And, and it touched our emotions, our excitabilities good. So that if, if that name or those names are, are called as, as preaching in a particular place, we'll drive miles and miles just to hear them. Because I remember a, a, a sermon they preached back at, at General Conference and they preached on this particular subject and I've never heard anybody preach it the way he preached it. See, if we're not careful, we'll develop in, our, in us an entertainment mentality. So when Jesus or the rabbis went to the synagogue to teach on the Lord's Day, Jesus didn't go in there on the Lord's day saying, well, let me see what I can find in, 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 the, in the Pentateuch to, uh, to read and see what I can, see how I can juice this up, you know, so that they'll, so that they'll listen to it. When, when Jesus went to the Sabbath or, or to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, before he went into any subject, he reviewed his teaching the last time he was in the synagogue. So what's he doing? He's demonstrating the fact that you have got to have more than intellectual knowledge about this stuff. You've got to have an experience with it. You've got to have a relationship with that word. When you hear it, you have got to determine, what am I to do with this? 
how do I apply this to my life so that I know Him better? See, that's the key. Not just intellection uh, or intellectual abilities. I want to know Him better. And if I know Him better, I have to experience Him, not just hear about Him. Here's where we are in, in Western culture.